Welcome to Behind the DM Screen. It is October of 2023. We are three DMs talking about our games and helping each other out, and that is your intro. I am Jeff Greiner. With me, as always, is Sam Dillon. Hello. And also with me, as always, for the first time, is Brenda Stoddard. <laughs> Second time, but yes, thank you, uh, Jeff. Uh, I think... I think it might have been you that I had to step in for one time. Uh, oh, oh, did you? A few okay. years ago, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I said, this, is, this is the first time I've been with you on Behind the Name Screen. Uh, last time we had Robert Aducci on, and Jeff said, eh, with us, as always, is Robert Aducci. And I said, what, did he move into your basement? Well, <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't have said it would be better to try to get introduced as uh, you know, Harbinger of Sly Flourish or <laughs> Sly Flourish of Doom. Like. <laughs> Since I'm obviously beginning the great revolution against the, the tyranny of Mike Shea. Sorry, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing personal, buddy. <laughs> awesome. All right. So, as I said in the intro, we are 3DMs. We're going to talk about our games, and I get to go first. So, here's the thing. Uh, we just recorded, like, what, two weeks ago, Sam? Because last month's got pushed later and later and later due to scheduling Don't tell issues. our secrets, Jeff. Oh. Don't tell our secrets. <laughs> well, this is this is me justifying the fact that I have actually very little to talk about in terms of my game. Um, but I have some questions to ask that that um, y'all... But you did, you didn't ask to. last time because remember we ran out of time. Because we ran out of time, exactly. Yeah. So there you go. Uh, if people are following... You know, I, I have it on pretty good authority that Brandis is really good at answering questions. Let's find out. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. Um, so for those uh, keeping score at home, I am playing a... Uh, the, the, the skeleton of my campaign is Descent into Avernus. Uh, and then I am adding lots of extra extras to it, right? To, to build things up for... Um, to connect it to my players' characters. And, um, and I've also brought in... I several of the Adventurers League adventures and made that sort of cam that campaign happening as simul sort of simultaneously to the normal campaign and I'm I'm sort of making that work. Nice. So last time I was talking when we finished off, I was talking about how we had they had been in the Crypt of the Hellriders. Um did I talk about the the big confrontation, Sam, do you remember? Which one? There was a big confrontation at the Crypt of the Hellriders where um, a one of the, the warlords, Bitter Breath, and one of the players' brothers who worships Tiamat uh, sort of showed up and, with an ultimatum. Did I talk about that at all? I think you did, yeah. Okay. I think you mentioned that last time. So, but talk so, about it again just to okay, let us know. Sure. So, so, <laughs> so Bitter Breath is one of the warlords that's mentioned in the adventure. Um, I decided the first time my players ran into Bitter Breath um, – I, 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 I don't even remember where it's from, but I used a, a third-party DMs Guild product that actually sort of created a, a, a location that was like Bitter Breath's um, like camp or whatever. Uh, and so they infiltrated Bitter Breath's camp um, alongside Smiler as their ally, who's another one of the warlords, well, ex-warlord. But I decided that uh, the fight with Bitter Breath was... Um, 
entirely lacking in frustration. And so I decided that Bitter Breath, being a unique little horn devil, uh, has the ability to teleport. So just before he was about to go down, he teleported away so that I could have him keep coming back and be a thorn in their their side. But they did discover that, right. And they discovered there though that Bitter Breath is having been punished by Zeriel, he used to be a, a pit fiend and now has been demoted down to a, a horn devil. Um, is allied get himself. wrecked. What's that? Get wrecked. Right, he did. He got wrecked. And not only a horn <laughs> devil, a horn devil with no wings. And every time he speaks, smoke billows out instead of his his voice. Um, mm. So he's extra cursed, and he's so he's pissed at Zeriel. So he's sided with Bell. Um, so I had I've had him sort of acting as an agent of Bell. They've now run into him. This is the third time they've run into him. So he's been sort of a, a nice recurring. Um, thorn in their side. He's not really a major villain. He's not really, um, you know, he's not plotting anything in particular other than, boy, I want to screw over Zeriel. Uh, and to do that, I'm going to help out Bell to, to regain his position. Um, meanwhile, I have a character who is a dragonborn uh, cleric of Bahamut. Um, and part of his backstory was that he has a brother who keeps screwing him over. And so it was revealed really early on, like way back at the Dungeon of the Dead 3 in like, what, second or third level, that his brother was actually part of a cult of Tiamat. Um, and had... The the last time his brother betrayed him, his uh, he, he the, the, the PC, had asked the brother to, to look after his, um, his fiancé and their child. Uh, because he was still sort of in seminary learning to be a cleric and he wasn't supposed to have a relationship. So it was just sort of, hey, brother, can you sort of hide the, hide them away for a little while until I'm done and then I can I can come back and, and start a family and whatever. Um, but the brother slash follower of Tiamat took them to hell and gave them to Archon, uh, and who trapped them in a soul gem and was, was bargaining with them um, to try to build an alliance with Bell. So... So all kinds of fun shenanigans there. It, it was sort of established as well. Uh, so in the high hall of Elturel, there is an, a crypt of an unknown soldier that saved Elturel from a from a dragon, I don't know, centuries ago or whatever. Uh, I decided that that unknown soldier was also a dragonborn and was like an ancestor of the, of the, the PC. Uh, and that that character drove off the dragon, but it wasn't just a dragon. It was um, Archon on a dragon because it turns out that this is a family cycle that's been going on for centuries of one one you know sibling worships Tiamat, one sibling worships Bahamut, and they conflict until eventually one of them kills the other one. In Archon's case, Archon killed the ancient you know the great great grand aunt or whatever, um, and now in this case the PC is is re. re- Recreating the cycle, uh, conflicting with his brother. So, anyway, long story short, after they had run into Olanthius, it's not a long story short, is it? It's a long story long. Uh, <laughs> after they had run into Olanthius in the Crypt of the Hellriders, um, Olanthius was like, okay, well, you know, lays it out. I'll, I'll give you what you want, you, but you got to go do this thing for me first, whatever. Oh, and by the way, I think there's some people outside looking for you. He can, like, sense them nearby. So they go outside and they find... Um, the brother on the back of a big dragon and bitter breath there. And a couple of small spine devils running around 
uh, as backup. And they're like, hey, so here's the deal. Uh, we've been sent as agents of Archon and Bell, and we want we have been told to offer you an infernal contract. Um, and we really kind of hope that you say no, because then we have permission to kill you. Uh, you know, <laughs> um, but the contract, it turned out, wasn't really a bad deal. Like Archon and Bell are like, look, we're all trying to do the same thing here, which is remove Zeriel from the equation. Whether is you... this the one? Is this the one that the Raven Queen thought was okay too, or is yeah, that the, a different? The, yeah, they did an augury, and the Raven Queen's like, yeah, that sounds this, this contract sounds fine to me, which is why half the party was instantly on board because they're followers of the Raven Queen. Because um, Bell and Bell and and uh, Archon. Don't bother uh, the Raven Queen at all, other than the fact that Archon has the hand of Vecna, and she's not real fond of Vecna. But yeah, but the, but the Raven Queen is is doing a long game, right? Like right. the Raven Queen is looking at is this going to be beneficial over a long period of time, much right. longer than most mortal lives, right? So you know that that th- that part might be okay with her at this point, right? And at this point. She's thinking long, long term because it all the contract only extends to a certain point, and that point is when Zeriel's taken care of. So, if Zeriel can be taken care of, then they can still go deal with the Archon situation. You know, mm-hmm. um, I may be setting myself up for several epilogue sessions where we have to deal with all these loose threads after after they've dealt with Zeriel. I was kind of hoping to wrap it up and end on that high note, and I got to figure that out now. But but I got time for that. Um, but long, again, so so at the end of the day, they, they sat there for like an hour, hour and a half, really like quibbling over whether or not to sign a contract. They've been in hell for a long time. They've been offered a lot of contracts. And they've never been tempted, uh, to, even close to tempted to sign a contract. And this really? one, yeah, this one they signed. Uh, and so they've agreed to it. Um, uh, and and what part of the, one of the stipulations, interestingly, one of the stipulations of the contract was that if Bell or Archon had had possession of any items that belong to them or have ever belonged to them, that they would be returned. Which was great for the 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 PC whose family had been gone, because the soul gem had been given to Bell and, and the souls, I guess, were were interpreted as belonging to him. And so the soul gem was returned. But the um the two Shatterkai twins, followers of the Raven Queen, um, we're like, well, okay, that's great. So, so now, and then we can go ahead and move on. It's like, oh, actually, there's stuff there for you too. And they're like, wait, wh- why? Because it turns out one of your pr- pr- previous lives had come to Avernus and been killed by Bell, and he had some of your stuff. <laughs> and and it said, you know, the contract said it was ever belonged to you, and I guess it counts because your soul it belonged to your soul at some point. So, so they were um, happy about that. That was fun. And I, I managed to, to turn it into everybody gets a little something um, that way. And it was kind of fun. Um, yeah. The um, then they went back into the Crypt of the Hell Riders because there's this whole thing about them trying to. Th- there's an opportunity to free all the souls in the, in the crypt um, that, that's written into the module. And so they're like, well, we're going to go deal with that because it's not OK to have all these souls trapped here. OK, fair enough. They spent half or more than half of a session trying to figure out how to free the souls. You find little slips of paper in ritual circles with the names of all the souls. And then you find these big stelae 
with the names of the souls carved into them. But you can't touch the stele, which is trapping their souls because it's protected by this war. But if you destroy all the little slips of paper, the ward goes down and then you can destroy the stele, right? They destroyed half of the names and they're like, wait, wait a minute. Maybe we need these. We should hang on to them. And then they spent two plus hours like, how do we do this? And I kept throwing them hints. Oh, you look at you, you, you look at the mural or you find this hint about how the names have to be destroyed twice. Oh, okay, but I can't get to the names once without getting killed. Mm-hmm. Oh, it, it was it was a really long time. <laughs> and event, it eventually got to a point of frustration for everybody where I'm like, okay, how long are you going to stay with this until, until we figure it out? We're going to do this for hours until we figure it out. Okay, well, eventually, this is what you figure out. <laughs> and I just tell them so we can move on. <laughs> um, then they went on to... Um, so Olanthius wants them to go free Kostichi to create a distraction so Zeriel doesn't see where the sword is hidden, and then he'll tell them where, the, where they can go and get Zeriel's sword. But uh, I've also been running this Adventures League adventure at the same time. I'm still not going to get to my questions. <laughs> Uh, I've been running uh, the Adventures League adventure at the same time, and I decided to go ahead and this is the time to sort of run to the end of it. They're looking for these souls of Hellriders that have been trapped. They know that they're in something called the Screaming Canyon, and I just decided the Screaming Canyon is one of the offshoots of the big chasm that Kostichi is is trapped in. Uh, And so so they run into Dara, who is this little 10-year-old girl who's the chosen of Ilmater because she read the Book of Exalted Deeds once. Um, and and lead her into the the canyon and are working on working their way through that. Uh, I discovered having prepped to run these adventures, having read through them before. I'm like, okay, this sounds good. We can do this. It's a sort of a three session dungeon crawl. No pro- no big deal. Uh, having run through them now to to prep them, I discovered that they're not very good and they're not well written. So it's taking a lot of extra sort of interpretation and work to to take out the stuff that's redundant or annoying or boring or whatever. Um, that's a bummer. Well, yeah. So, but there's enough of a kernel of, of interesting there that I can sort of skip over large swaths of, of the not as interesting or the annoying and, um, and get to it. So, um, okay. So I did have a little bit of time, not much. So I have two <laughs> questions I wanted to ask, and this is the same questions I didn't get to ask last month. Um, the first question, I'll start with this one. We've added a new player to my to my campaign. The new player is a co-worker and has never played D&D before. So in any in any edition, he's any never way, played, shape. he's never played. In, he's, he doesn't own dice. No RPG at all. None. OK. Um, but his sister plays and, and said, hey, you would enjoy playing D&D. You should totally get into D&D. And then he started talking um, and it was very clear that he was interested in joining my game so i'm like all right let me let me go talk to everybody else and see if they're cool he's a co-worker of yours right okay he's he's the administrative assistant in my department okay um so i'd like to to talk a little bit about and and talk about some advice on integrating somebody who's brand new never played the game before but also joining a campaign two-thirds of the way through the campaign what level is everybody else? Everybody is level eight or nine. So, I mean, just shooting from the hip here, there's never been a bad time for an amnesia background. 
funny you say that because he's actually do, do, going, I, do I know any campaign lore friends no I do not <laughs> right funny funny you should say that because he joined two sessions ago and one of the first things they asked is like do you know anything about this do you know anything about that uh no so I've been in hell for a while I think but I recently was in the river stick so I don't know <laughs> yeah I mean it okay so because I'm on sort of a planes kick having just come from uh doing a review of uh, the Planescape set, right? Um, coming up with some way that, yep, he uh, came through the sticks specifically from Hades. Not only did sticks eat his memories, so did Hades. Whoops. Mm. Or, like, maybe he escaped from Corsari. Maybe, yeah, yeah. Just, the- just, just, like, really lean into, yep, you're a, you're a planar wanderer mm. kind of thing. I feel like that could be super fun. It doesn't ask him to know anything because see, see previous, uh, you know, hair metal band. Um, yeah, I talked to him a little bit la- uh, at the beginning of last session. I'm like, okay, so you, we, we've established your sort of amnesia background here. Mm-hmm. Um, and that works out pretty well because you don't know much about the game. So you, so it makes sense your character is sort of relearning all of it as well. Yeah. Um, but then I, I, I broached the subject of, so... How do you want to do the background? Because I'd like to sort of slowly reveal your character's background as part of the story, because that's always fun. Um, but do you want it to be a you get to be surprised and I come up with a bunch of stuff, you know, and, and I reveal your background? Or do you want to have a say in, in sort of what your character's background is as well? And he wants to sort of more collaborate on it, uh, which okay, interesting, is, which is fun. So, so I did want to suggest one way that you could like do a lot of the feeding on that mm-hmm. while still being in a collaborative situation. Mm-hmm. When you are ready for a reveal moment, you know, uh, hand him two cards and say, oh. pick one. And so he decides which of the two scenes is real. Mm-hmm. That's a good one. And so I like that. I, like, I, I had a new player come in at the start of a recent arc in my campaign and he didn't know anything about the setting. Um, and there's just 12 years of lore in my setting or whatever. It's ridiculous at this point. Right. Uh, it's not 12, but it's, it's seriously 11 years of lore in my setting as of November. And so he had no way to catch up. Uh, and so what I did was, okay, so uh, you don't have to pick one of these three options, but I'm going to feed you three options. And if you don't like any of them, then you'll at least have a, a jumping off point mm-hmm. with why you don't like them. And of course, he was perfectly happy with one of them each time I did that. And I think we went through two or three rounds of that. That's a good and idea. it worked really well, right? That's a good idea. Because it was feeding him stuff that I knew I could really easily fold in. Right. I, I, I was definitely, you know, uh, doing a little double dealing for myself because I knew it'd be easy. But right. That's not wrong. So whatever. One of the other um, interesting, one of the things we do know about the character is that, so when I first was talking to him about D&D, he's like, oh, can I, can you play a werewolf? And I'm like, well, kind of, maybe, mm-hmm. sort of. Like you can become a werewolf. You, there's not like, you can't, there's no werewolf like race that you can choose, right? You could be uh, a shifter. Right. And so that's where we went. Uh, okay, is, cool, is, cool, cool. Is that my, my, the compromise was, ah, but, but you could be a shifter. 
And yep. then we started picking his classes and he decided to make a barbarian and do the, the what is it, beast totem or whatever. So his rages actually have him also kind of bring out sort of animalistic sort of. So he's not a werewolf werewolf, but he's got this werewolf like um, um, qualities to him. Uh, and and he, we were talking about a little bit of sort of how that happened and where that came from or whatever. And he's like, well, I think that he was human but was at some point through his background uh, possessed, if you will, by some animal spirit. Uh, and so he comes by it that way rather than sort of the curse of lycanthropy. And so that's that. Nice, yeah. That's the explanation of the rage shifting and all that kind of stuff, right? Uh, so that kind of works works in interesting ways. It doesn't necessarily fit the theme of a descent into Avernus campaign, but we can neither neither do Shatter Kai. We can make it work. So. If you bought into my pitch for Dudes of Planar Wanderer, I mean, right. Beastlands, it's right there. Right. It's and, right and, there. And and we kind of had implied that he was originally an Elturel and was dragged into the into Avernus with the city, which could still mean he's a Planar Wanderer. It could sure. also be that that's just wrong because he went into the River Styx afterwards and he just is remembering wrong. Well, and so what you could do is part of his rage stems from maybe, uh, you know, whatever it was that like has corrupted him to make him take on beast form. Like the reason that happens is because he has rage about part of his soul being stolen. Right. Mm -hmm. And some, something brought him to, to Avernus to try to reclaim that piece of him. And that's what's sort of, you know, making, that's what's led to his sort of different abilities or whatever. He just doesn't remember, but right. some part of him does, right? I mean, if you want to, if you want to kind of play with the expectations of the other longtime D and D fans at the table, you know, you start at werewolf, but no, what he is is a were hellhound because you're in a Right. Yeah. Right. Just, just kind of. It's it's the same, but one half step different mm-hmm. there's some interesting thoughts and uh, things in there that i think i could get him to be really interested in um he he sort of sees the character as al- being sort of an ultimate survivor like he's done all these things to, in order to oh, survive yeah. all this time and, and um that can work with a lot of these different ideas so like he, he doesn't see the the spirit that possessed him as being an enemy it's sort of an ally that's helped him survive um but I can still work with maybe, that. maybe his soul. Maybe when when a piece of his soul was stolen, a piece of another soul, like so that he mm. would be a complete soul, right? Maybe that sort of that's why he's right. kind of like he knows some things and he's at peace a little bit with what's happening, only because he's had to integrate two different souls into his yes. being and make them one individual, right? I like, I like that. I like that. Yeah, man. that sounds cool. All right. So, do you want me to ask my second question, or am I wait? Well, am I over I was, enough to stop? I was going to ask you how he's doing mechanically. Like, is he does he is he having issues understanding like how the game works? Is it's there, taking was, some time to pick it up. He's he's. Yeah. I mean, I've got a player sitting next to him who's showing him, you know, everything. But okay. you know, he's made a dozen attack rolls so far and still has to be shown every time. <laughs> but it's, yeah, there, but there's a lot going on, and he's just yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's super yeah. excited about the narrative. Well, Right, ninth rubble's rough. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. that's really hard. That's a lot of information. Yeah. Oh yeah. So, 
yeah, no, he's jumping in sort of headfirst. Although, they, at least with um, playing a Barbarian, it's not a super complicated class to pick up, right? Definitely no, one of the more straightforward ones, yeah. Right. Has he played, like, video games and stuff before? Like, I assume? I don't... Yeah, because, I mean, the thing is, like, some of it's just... There's a lot of things that we assume in D&D about what people know, and it's just from having a lot of experience with different mm-hmm. fantasy tropes and different forms of media that deal with fantasy, but also all of the years of D&D. Like, you know, right. and somebody who's never, ever played before, I can imagine there are some things that, you know, it might take them months to figure out, oh, that's what HP actually stands for. Right. I mean, that's a dumb example, but, you know, like, oh, I didn't ever realize AC was armor class and how I didn't realize my spellcasting modifier came from this. Like, right. you know, just those things where they've been, they understand like the math or they understand whatever the concept is, but what the actual words mean put to be put together in a sort of cohesive picture doesn't always show up for months. <laughs> right. So I have another question, another yeah. follow up question regarding him. Um, I'll, I'm going to end up saving my other question for yet another session someday. Oh, come on. Um, I mean, I can keep going, but I want time for all of you and we're almost half an hour in already. Well, um, I've only had one session since the last time, so ask your question, yeah, but, and I'll cut my. I only had two, and, I, and here we are. <laughs> so we'll see. Okay, ask um, your questions, Pierce Caper. I'm not afraid. My my <laughs> my other question um, regarding the new player is, um, I'm not sure if there's going to be a good personality fit, uh, mm. and that's that's a tricky, especially because he's a coworker. Uh, you know, uh-huh. um, so. Like he he he's getting along okay, but he's very enthusiastic about everything all the time, uh, to the point that my my first instinct when I met him was that oh that you know he's just a young guy he's, you know he'll grow he'll he'll mature and he'll grow and and you know whatever uh, except that he's forty, um, so he's not going to mellow probably more than he is right that's just his personality which is fine I you know. Uh, an enthusiastic, uh, energetic guy is is, is fine, uh, a fine way to be. I got no problem with him, um, but I don't know how well that's meshing with the general cynicism of of the rest of the group. So he he's fitting in with all of the innuendo. That's going fine, <laughs> but um, yeah, people with sort of a uh, uh, eager puppy personality, um can at times be a lot at a table that is that is accurate i say this with love All right and i'm trying to be very very both sincere and kind because i don't know who might be listening to this recording right whether it's one of my other players or him um sure. you know. no i get it his personality is just different from yeah. everyone else um so I guess uh, do you do you see problems already like arising? I don't know that I do, because at least his his style of play so far anyway. I think once he gets into the game is going to mesh okay. Um, we've had other players. We've had another player in the past with this group where we had to ask them to leave because their style of play was just so not cohesive. Like they spent two and a half hours strategizing a, a very specific attack plan. And then once the bad guys showed up, this guy, Leroy Jenkins in the middle of it. And, and uh, the, like, oh, so they, were, they were pissed. You know? the word. So yeah. um, I don't think he's going to be that he's not a, a trouble stirrer. He's not just trying to, to mix things up and sow chaos. He's, he's very 
focused on the narrative uh, and, and enjoys the stories. And, and I have other players that are the same way. So I think he'll fit in well in that regard in terms of play style. So one of the things that's good about a new player who's new to RPGs at all is you can kind of mold and and right. and direct that play style so that it does mesh with the group a little bit more because mm -hmm. they're not coming in with the preset sort of style. Right. Yeah. Like if anything, kind of just give yourself some some kindness to be at you know good patience reserves. This is oh this is a situation I would be in if I were with you know if I had a player at my table that I found to be high energy or demanding in that kind of way, which may, maybe is a good characterization, maybe isn't. Again, I'm not trying to right, and, you know, and honestly, I think someone I don't know. Honestly, I feel like he he started to mellow and get into the groove of things a lot more just two sessions in. Um, All right. So so I think. It'll probably be okay, but I'm I, I am looking to the to the distance and wondering. Okay, it's probably going to be okay, but if it's not, <laughs> that's going to be an awkward situation. So I mean, maybe, but I think there's also something to be said for just being honest about yeah. things, right? right? Like, and you know, at the the awkward part is not actually the game; it's the coworker part, right? right? Like, that's what's kind of weird. But, you know, there might be an opportunity to sort of uh, shift some things and and make that okay, too, right? If he ends up leaving the group, you know, maybe you end up running a different group, right? Running a second group, right? Yeah. I mean, I've I got a million different games I want to play, but... Right. <laughs> that's okay. Maybe after uh, maybe after in a in a year and a half when I hear about my tenure decision, then then we can have that conversation. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, all right. Should I? Should I? Yeah. It's we're thirty minutes in. Should I ask my second question or my my other question? Yeah, let's or not? hear it. All right. Yeah. I'll seed. I'll seed my time. I've Unless the question's really bad, and then I'll say I reclaim my time. <laughs> okay. There you are. I've been spending a lot of time in hell. Mm -hmm. Um. Fifth edition D and D. Dude, it's twenty twenty three. We're all there, bud. It's okay. Yeah, right. I mean. But fifth edition D and D has a limited number of devils, and as written with these adventures, the the devils that you're running into become old and stale. Like you got an infinite plane, and there's less than a dozen possible devils to to run into. And and how many times can you run into a barb devil or a bearded devil or a spine devil and have it be interesting and unique? Um, anymore. And that's where my my other question comes from is yes. how do you keep making the devils interesting and unique um, when there's only so many stats to pull from? And I only have so much time. I, I really enjoy, it's amazing because they never left beta with it, but I really like using the encounter builder in D&D Beyond. I don't want to stop using it. Um, mm -hmm. but that means I gotta, I gotta bring in all of my third party products as homebrew, um, monsters, which I, I've done some of, but that's a time consuming prospect as well. So how difficult would it be to every once in a while give that, um, Hamatula or Kurnagon or whoever, Ooh, um, second edition with the names. Okay. I'm here for you, buddy. Um, <laughs> Uh, like a a cool ass magic item, and that's what shakes up your encounter, mm. right? Or 
like really lean on okay there's some some weird terrain here and yeah it's the same step like you fought before but i've changed up the circumstances just like i guess where i'm coming from is thinking about like the sheer number of times that you fight the veteran stat block in pick an adventure you know what i mean um veterans and thugs and such get get an enormous amount of play but it isn't the stat the stat block doesn't really feel stale because the circumstances are always on the move one of the um more interesting encounters we had and this is i think yeah this is from one of the, the adventures league adventures so they're not all duds um was they ran Ouch, into like, they, they ran into the, like their third or fourth chain devil of the campaign mm-hmm. um, but this chain devil was in a big hollow tower and was you know 50 feet or 100 feet up in the air oh nice uh, you know, sort of on a web of chains but is animating the chains and fighting you from from down there so not only do you have to figure out how to take down that chain devil like you've done three other times before but you got to figure out how to do it when he's all the way up there and he can get to you but you can't get to him unless you know you're one of the folks that can fly so that was uh, an, that was an interesting mix up for that campaign yeah for sure i love that like yeah. really leaning into that creature's strengths yeah for its set block I was right. not. I was not anticipating that encounter being as fun as it was, but they talked about it for like five sessions afterwards. You know, in one of my D and D brief sessions, there was a point where they were going uh, into the red plateau, and which is hell, right? And they um, they went into this maze that had basically permanent darkness cast on it, right? So they couldn't see, and it was a maze. And there's like barb devils, like the the walls of the maze are like iron fences not like solid walls and so you know they're like getting by devil sight bad warlock no biscuit they're they're (laughs) getting they're getting like they're getting poked by you know like devil you know tridents and you know that they can't see and so the thing is like not the stat block right the idea there is how do we navigate this particular situation in a way that is interesting and still maintains our autonomy and still lets us actually like feel like we're doing something that matters Mm -hmm. like to to get out of this like we're the ones determining that we're going to survive this encounter Mm -hmm. not because we can you know hit them in the head and kill them but because we've outsmarted them or figured out what the trick is right Mm -hmm. like we figured out oh well yes that's we can't reach him up there in that invisible tower but we can do this instead and if we go and we accomplish this piece then it brings it back down to now we can face him head on right uh the the trick is using as many published things that i'm mashing in together i'm gonna have to modify in order to do that i have to modify the encounters as designed, which is not a bad idea anyway. So yeah. Right. You know, Um, the other thing that you can do is just think of like, you know, and you and I have gone through exercises like this before, but mm -hmm. you know, you think of like, you've got, you've got your typical devils, right. Um, And now change one thing about them, right. Change, change one thing, you know, right. Make it, make it different, make it not hit expectations. And, let them figure it out, right? That that's the thing that's different about that one. Descent into Avernus may already do this, but just thinking about what Avernus is like, I feel like you could get just an enormous amount of mileage off of uh, 
yes, okay, here are some devils, and also some corrupted plant creatures, because it's a Vernus mm. get wrecked. Uh, like, yep, I, you're just fighting a treant now. Right. Like, there's its alignment is awful evil, and we're good. Yeah, there's a little okay. bit of that in the adventure, but not much. Um, there is, in like, fact, there is, in fact, a corrupted treant that shows up at one point. Okay. You're just, just stretching out stat blocks with that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's that's already Zariel's premise, so whatever. Uh, right. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, so go, go playing on playing on that, right? Like, think about, okay, Elturel got sucked into Avernus, right? Okay, but think about it. Like, there's other creatures and other land that gets sucked into Avernus, right? And we've other that, yeah. Right, other forests and other different things, right? So, okay, there was a, a Paraton, you know, yeah. rook or whatever, right? There was a par- a, a set of, you know, a, a, I don't know what you call it, a flight, a flight of Paratons, right, <laughs> was living in a place that got sucked into Avernus. And instead of just completely, like, succumbing to the territory and being killed and all that and burning in the fires of hell, they actually somehow survived it and have now fast adapted to the environment Mm -hmm. and Uh, so when your party sees like something flying over they're gonna look up they're gonna be like oh there's some devils flying above and then they're gonna see no no those aren't devils those are like avernus adapted peritons right yeah or or i mean the 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 planescape set definitely suggests exactly that kind of thing and it has a couple of traits that you can throw on things to make them you you know planar inflected basically and there's a lot of um working against the machinations of demons and devils in the adventure. So it'd be very easy to say, oh yeah, there's a bunch of peritons that, or whatever that have uh, adapted to the place and have then been captured and trained or forced into servitude by, you know, that horn devil over there or whatever. Yeah. And, and, and here's, here's the other thing too, is that also opens the opportunity. Yeah. You know, those peritons, it's not like they were good aligned creatures in the first place, but they really hate being enslaved by those devils. And if you could find a way to set them free, yeah, they're still going to be evil creatures, but Ooh, they might, you you know what I mean? Like they, they could actually, that could be more than a fight, right? Uh That could be a role-playing opportunity. That could be a faction growth kind of thing. Like there's a lot of, there's a lot of opportunities there that through things you could do. Uh, I think that it's probably also not a bad time to uh, go through um, glory of the giants and, like every husk is just a freebie. Fine, whatever. Um, like the the things like fire gaunts. Like yeah, uh, un- weird undead giants are free. Whatever, it's fine. Right. You know what I mean? Well, well, and as I mean, we fairly recently talked about that book, and and there's all kind. I mean, there's also a type of every kind of giant that is what is it, demon corrupted or devil corrupted yeah. or whatever. So yeah, yeah. there's a lot to play with there. Yeah, uh, like Echo of Demogorgon. I'm, I'm looking at the list right now. Like, yep, that's perfect for your situation. Yep. Because, uh, you know, an Echo of Demogorgon is only CR6, mm-hmm. but, like, cool, spike the AC and triple the hit points and whatever. It's fine. In fact, now that you're saying that, it occurs to me, like, when they're done with this dungeon, they're going to go off to free Kostichi and, it, you know, the big challenge is, oh, there's a chain devil with some, some hellhounds. Okay, right. yeah. But I could inst- I could I could very easily replace that chain devil with a pair of infernally corrupted giants. You know, uh, fire giants especially because because right. yeah. she's a, an ice yeah. giant 
uh, deity, right? Right. Yeah. And that that's the thing I like about the Peritons, right? It's that it's not expected, right? Mm-hmm. And the same with the same with the giants. Like they're not going to expect those giants there necessarily. Right. So, yep. you know, the the sort of surprise factor is is good enough to really make something stand out as different. Like a, a bunch of Frostmorns, those things are just they're sort of if you've watched Game of Thrones, you just you just want this in your life. <laughs> This is this is from before the show turned bad. Just run with it; it's fine. <laughs> all right, I really need to stop mon- monopolizing all of the time. Uh, we need time to hear from everybody else, including our guest. Uh, before we switch over, though, I want to remind folks that if you want to support the show, you can back us uh, on Patreon, Patreon.com/slash. I think it's the Tome Show. Um, I always forget, right? But for as little as a dollar a month, you can help me pay the bills that keeps the show going. Um, so that someday my wife doesn't say, stop doing this hobby that costs us so much money. And then I have to, to shutter the whole thing. So throw in your, your dollar a month if you can. And I appreciate it. Brandis. Jeff. Tell us about your game. So, um, I am running two games at this point. Um, and one of them runs about once a month. Um, it's been running about once a month since, uh, November of 2012. We're running on, under D&D Next rules. Uh, the other is um, my Dragon Heist campaign that is now well into post-Dragon Heist, and I'm just off in my own content. Um, and that one is supposed to play weekly, but just everything and its brother has gone wrong for us in, in the past month and a bit. Um, and so we haven't been able to schedule a session in, in a while. Um so, because I've run my long-term campaign more recently, I'm going to talk about that a little bit. Um, the PCs in that campaign just finished a four-session uh, span in the city of Brass. Um, they there, had. There was just conversation about the city of Brass going on over on the Discord channel. I was thinking about that, um, and that's uh, another reason I want to talk about it. Right. Um, there you go. So I'm using the City of Brass map from um, the the Forgotten Realms lore wiki. Um, it's a it's a great map. It's got a discussion of it's got you know at least a few sentences on all the different like little neighborhoods and quarters in um, the City of Brass, and it's great. Um, I'm making up some of my own political factions because I just did Same and whatever. It's from the fourth edition. That seems very likely. Seems very likely. I, I didn't check, but probably. Um, and so, like the the uh, noble uh, Ifridi, who's in charge of uh, the city of Brass at the time, uh, is named uh, the Flame in the Bronze. My idea was that like he uses a lot of constructs by animating them with his flames, um, and he's also allied with hell um and so that's that, that comes up in that the like uh the the soldiers that he's using to control the city are called the iron legion and they're uh, you know helmed horrors offered to him by uh, the court of nessus uh because i think that kind of thing is cool um and so the pcs have hated this guy for a couple of years but this is, they finally got a file elemental to say, uh, I'll help you finish this 
grand field battle if you will agree someday soon-ish to kill the flame of the bronze for me. And so the flame, the, the, the fire elemental gives them a ring that will take, you know, one party of adventurers to the city of brass and bring them back one time. Um, and so they, they agree to this and they go on to win that battle and so on. Um, but they finally go, you know, many sessions later, they go to the city of brass. Um, and I've got just this sort of bizarro span of, of character levels, which is totally how that campaign runs. I've got, when they first go to the city of brass, the lowest level character is fifth and the highest level character is 12th. Um, and it's a huge party. So there's a, it's a fifth level cleric up through a 12th level ranger. Um, and then at the second session that they're in the city of brass, the cleric's player can't make it to the session, but a, a different paladin who's in the campaign, because this is my big, huge roster campaign with lots and lots of player characters and lots and lots of players, um, can make it. And also, there's a new guy who wants to start in the campaign. Um, the guy that I mentioned offering some, some different character background options to, that's this guy. Um, he starts a ranger. A new character in this campaign starts at fourth level. So he's in the city of Brass, adventuring with total strangers at fourth level. Good luck, mate. Um, and of course, the the player actually knows other people at the table, and he's having a great time. Um, but the character doesn't, and so they 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 role play through that. And he's got you know his reason that he's there, his separate goal. He's not a member of their mercenary company yet. Um, but, you know, everyone at the table knows that sometime around the end of this adventure, he'll wind up taking oaths to join the company and be an ongoing PC. Um, so they are, um, they, they make contacts around the city. They try to avoid the Iron Legion. They make these contacts around the city. They um, discover that, you know, a large number of people are. Uh, enslaved in the city and they hate that they aren't sure how but they really want to you know kill or drive away the flame and the bronze and liberate the city um, and so they there's there's one person in the city they already know because it's the aunt of one of the PCs uh, they know that she's basically gotten stuck in the city of brass because of some bargains that she made for you know, bargains that were bad for her, but were made to save other people. So they're ultimately done for virtuous cause. Um, and it, they have a bunch of conversations with her. She puts them in touch with other people who hate the flame of the bronze and want to overthrow him. And it's a whole huge thing. Um, and in the third session, they, they make their plans to start, their showdown. They, they figure out what the Flame of the Bronze would want enough to leave the Charcoal Palace, because they really don't want to fight a noble Afridi in his lair. Uh, you know, fair. Right? Um, and so, there's a Phoenix Egg. And there's a, a power group in the city called the Seven Phoenixes, who are you know, mages who have a special connection to uh, a group of seven phoenixes. And 
they negotiate with them and get them to bring out one of the Phoenix eggs because they know that the Flame of the Bronze will commit an enormous amount of resources if he needs to 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 get that, including showing up personally. Um, and the players have this whole plan. It doesn't go as intended, and that's not their fault at all. It was a good plan. It's just uh, they accidentally sort of set it up in what turned out to be kind of a killing box. Oops. Um, they, they didn't give themselves a good way to withdraw, and they were they cast a um, um, Mordenkainen's private sanctum on the area. They wanted to lure him in to the sanctum so that he would be, you know, locked to the plane just like they are, because you can't teleport or plane shift out of a private sanctum, as every school child knows, um, and. The other problem is that a private sanctum creates uh, a vision barrier, but not something they could actually stop fireballs, right? (laughs) Because you don't have to target a fireball that way. You can just decide on a distance and hope, which is a problem when you're fighting a noble Efreet who can cast fireball at will. So he's just firing randomly into this you know, this mist, and he doesn't care if he hits anything. Um, and so this, he, he keeps summoning more minions, and it's rough. And so they, we, we end that with him, with the players having killed the first group of his warlocks and claimed some of the flying carpets that the warlocks were on. And that ends the session as he shifts to phase two of the fight. Uh, so I take the, the mini off the board. My friend has painted this gorgeous mini for me um, that he's, he's printed from one of the uh, the STL Patreons, right? Um, and he's done this great paint job, and he's painted all these flying carpets and all this stuff. And I replace it with the much bigger mini of the same figure that my friend has also <laughs> printed and painted. So he goes from a large mini to a gargantuan mini. Oh, jeez. And the players are like, oh, <laughs> um, nuts. <laughs> and so we then can't play for months and months. And I'm running other adventuring rosters doing other stuff in the campaign in the intervening months. Um, it's something like three months that go by before we can schedule again. And so um, in the fourth session, they the players aren't sure if they're going to try to flee or finish fighting him. And I'm impressed to say that they decided to finish their showdown with him and put all on the line and they uh, forced him to plane shift away. They thought they they came so close to being able to counterspell his plane shift. They would have got would have killed him, but instead he plane shifted to you know, hell because that's where his allies are. And it, they had cut off his patron ring, a ring of three wishes that also let him be a patron to warlocks. They, they'd cut off his hand, and the hand and the ring fell to the ground. The hand turned away to dust, you know, like that scene in that movie that we all love. Um, no, what, what, and, which, which movie has a, has a ring and a hand's getting cut off? I, I, uh, oh, Star Wars, right? That's, they, they always cut off hands there. 
Um, so close yet so far. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. So he was he was a lord with a ring, is what you're telling me? Some sort of lord with a ring, and it got cut over off. A, over a, a place of you know heat and torment. Oh, okay, interesting. Yeah. That's an entirely uh, unique concept I've never heard of. Aces. I am brilliant. I am. I, I am serving amazing ideas to you tonight, sir. I appreciate um, it. Yeah. So, they, they, so he has already used one wish in that fight. Um, so they know that one wish is expended. They don't know how he recharges the wishes in the ring, though they can make some educated guesses. So they, they pick up this ring, and they know they have two wishes to work with, and they spend probably a good half an hour debating whether they're going to spend one wish to grant the whole party a long rest and the next wish to go to hell just to finish that fight. Because they had him down under 100 hit points. And, and, do and, it, and do it now while he's still weak enough and hasn't had a chance to heal. Exactly. Or are they going to do the thing they said they'd do, the thing they need to do, and wish that he can never again be a warlock patron? Are they going to strip him of nobility forever? Which is what they actually do. Um, they have the, the PCs have a, a long, 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 long-term ally who discovered, uh, as a result of an, another earlier adventure, this is how they first heard about the Flame of the Bronze, that um, she, as an infant, had been offered to the Flame of the Bronze by her uncle. And so the Flame of the Bronze had marked her and she was starting to gain warlock levels against her own will. Uh, which is not something I do at a PC, but NPCs are allowed for it's fine. And so they were very, very sure they wanted to either kill him, which they'd already kind of failed to do by, by the moment they had the ring, or break his power to be a patron ever again. And so that's what they did, and they sort of... Uh, uh, oversaw the cleanup of the revolution in the city. Um, they'd done some other things to cause the Fae to attack the city um, at the same time to basically you know, you know, carry off a revolt against the Flame of the Bronze's forces. And so, having started an insurrection in the city and overthrown the Charcoal Palace, they uh, installed the Fire Elemental that had uh, they bargained with in the first place, and also that one character's aunt, who they knew uh, would be a responsible user of all this power. And uh, they were richly rewarded and called it a day. Um, and and so that is the last thing that happened in that campaign. Um, I'm not really sure what I want to see happen next with the Flame of the Bronze, who is now a regular Efreet, and has far less bargaining power in the court of Nessus, because he's no longer the ruler of the city of Brass. You know, that's, that's probably bad. Um, like, probably he will be in hock to, to Asmodeus forever, uh, until he's killed somehow. Um, I'm not sure what that's going to look like. Maybe he comes back as, you know, um, 
some mid-ranked devil and has to you know work his way back up and they you know, hear about that i don't know um but the the character is definitely not dead right. and so there's an expectation that there'll be some next step so i'd be curious to hear uh, what what struck you about that understanding that at least one or two of my players are in considerable risk of listening to this session. Sam, do you want to, do you have thoughts first? Um, so what exactly do you want to, what are you looking for? <laughs> um, so, so I'm looking for um, some next step that potentially leads to a final conclusion of, you know, this character that was the flame in the bronze and probably is now stripped of that title as well. How long of an arc do you want that to be? I don't care. Uh, this campaign does not have an intended end time. Right. Um, the like, the highest level characters, uh, at the end of all of this, I now have two 12th level characters instead of just one. Um, but if the campaign runs to 20th level and keeps going with um, you know epic level boons, great. Cool. That sounds awesome. Nobody does that. It'd well, be great to do it. The, so here's the reason I'm asking is there's one idea that I have that could be fun, but it would require sure. a really long game. You know, the, the character the, the character kind of just disappears and they don't hear from him for years. Uh, and then That's very doable. years down the road, um, this Ifrit... Um, I could totally see a situation where the Ifrit returns as an NPC in disguise and a sympathetic character who then, of course, inevitably they find out that he's actually the Ifrit the whole time. And, and you know, because that could lead to an interesting, like, uh, you, this guy went to, from being the guy you were ready to burn two wishes to go after and kill to now he's, you know, years later, he's, he's a sympathetic character. Uh, and, and then it's a huge reveal at some point when it turns out, Oh no, he's actually the Afrit. And was he manipulating them? And he's still the bad guy and they, they strike him down. That could be interesting. Or I don't know, maybe he, he got his come up and, uh, in hell where, where they didn't put up with any of his shit anymore. Uh, and he's actually reformed. Although there's a part of me that, that finds that less interesting for, for this character, but Sure. Yeah. So, so thus far, he has been a just an awful enough person that if I'm not going to put the just awfulness to be dragged through by hell on camera, I don't know that I can sell it. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so for me, like, I don't think he's going to be. Oh. Oh no! I just. Oh, I just got it. Oh, geez. Yeah, I'm totally going to have him get thrown in the river sticks. He's going to show up not knowing who he is. Uh huh. And he's not seeking revenge because he doesn't know. Yeah. So what I what I was going to say is if he's so now if he doesn't know who he is, that's a different story. But yeah, I'm still open to other ideas. Yeah, he, he would he, if as he's thrown in hell. Now he's going to get punished, right? Because now he doesn't have any bargaining power. And so now he's in a place where he has no power, no bargaining power, no, no way to really make things go his way. He's going to get punished. If he ever makes it back to the city of brass, 
he's oh. going to try and regain what he believes has been stolen from him, which is his power, authority, everything that he has ever thought was his is now not his. He His sole purpose will be to get that back. And once he gets that back, then his sole purpose shifts to punishing those who took it from him, which includes the party, but also includes anybody who punished him in hell. Yeah. Right. I, I can and see, so yeah, I, could, I could see him yeah. going to hell being corrupted. Like we just talked about discussing mm -hmm. my campaign and actually coming yeah. back more right. powerful than he was. And now he's, he's yeah. waging war against hell and the Fae and the, and the, the PCs yeah. all at once. I, I think though, that, that he would have to, he would have to work really hard to get all of that back. I don't think he's just going to automatically come back more powerful, but no, I think no, the, the no. river sticks thing is very interesting. Cause if he forgets who he is, right. And what he once had, uh, he might start to get glimmers of that, right? As he yeah. returns yeah. to the city of Brass, and he's like this lowly whatever. He's basically an untouchable, right? He's he's just nothing, but yeah. he still belongs there, and he knows he belongs there. And as he starts to like get glimmers of what you know, people treat him a certain way, and he starts realizing why people are treating him a certain way, right? Because he used to have all of these things, and he starts remembering the things he used to have, he's going to start trying to get revenge on those who took it from him. Yeah. And to, and to yeah. regain. And so I could see the whole culmination of the entire next, you know, five years from now, whatever is yeah. like, he's finally now has regained his status and he's yeah. even more powerful than he was in the mm -hmm. first place. And now he is a true enemy who is not just, selfish and self-absorbed and wants to retain his authority and power. But now he's all of those things and he is, he's gunning for the PCs. He's gunning for anybody who put him in that position. And yeah. 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 So yeah, that's, that's super yeah. cool. Super cool. Um, so but you can put those punishments that he gets in, in hell or Avernus or wherever you send him, right? Yeah. You, he, he's going to, you could put those in front of the party, right? Like, are they not going, are they going to follow him though? They're not right now. Okay. Uh, they were, they were real really drained and they, they really wanted to, they wanted to like take a short rest and go after him. And they, they, just kind of never pulled that trigger. I really thought that last wish was going to be, uh, yeah. you know, I, I wish we could follow him. Right. Right. So here's the thing. Um, if they had followed him, maybe they would have been able to save him from being drowned in the river sticks. Yeah. Well, they right. didn't. I, I kind of, uh, like the idea of like put the the punishments and him being dragged through hell literally um, on camera in front of the PCs, but it would almost be interesting. Maybe because you said it's this huge party, maybe it's not even those PCs. Like there's the stories that that run around, or maybe they don't even realize who they're seeing because he's been corrupted and changed. Uh, and, but, and so there's just this over, over and over again for the next, you know, year or whatever, they, they run into somebody being punished or tortured or, or horrible things in the background of other stories is happening. And, and then there's the big reveal later on. Oh no, that was me. You watched all that happen to me and you claim to be the good guys, but you just sat back and watched it and let it happen. 
Well, so there's also going to be a lot of uh, upcoming conflict between um, the Fey and Hell uh, for reasons that I can't discuss because uh, my wife can hear me recording this. You know, that's my bad. Um, the the Fey seem to have broken their long-standing um, peace treaty with Hell. Uh, they they didn't re-up uh, when they needed to. They they seemingly deliberately didn't re-up, and it has already started costing the face substantially, because you know hell moved first in uh, turning that into a war, and the PCs are also investigating why all that's happening, and it's not clear yet. Um, I, I've got reasons I need to, you know, polish up those reasons a little bit more before. I actually say them out loud uh, at my table, but I think that the PCs will start getting some real clues about what's going on fairly soon. Um, There's also, additionally, uh, a major uh, Fey plotline coming to a head as they've been gathering gathering these pieces of an Orichalcum machine for literally the last 11 years, and now they're waiting for... um, Midsummer's Day, so they can they've reconstructed the machine, they've got the the ever-living remnant of the Green Man, they're going to put the Green Man's head in the machine to resurrect the Green Man. And so the Seelie court will have its king again. Uh, It's been getting by without a king for hundreds of years, and they'd really like to stop that now, because they're very understaffed as a court. The Unseelie have so many more Archfey, and, and the PCs hate that. The Seelie hate that. Uh, they'd really like to at least be down by one less. Mm. Um, so let me ask you this. Yeah. Uh, when the Fae start, like, meddling in the affairs of devils because they're at war, yeah. is there any chance they could rescue this guy? Uh, they, they could definitely, like, take him prisoner. Or, or not as part of a raid. I mean, they could rescue him, not knowing who he was. He's he was a prisoner being right. tortured. He's lost his memory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that could definitely happen. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that that could for sure happen. Like, um, the the, the Silver Prince is uh, Rathmorvin, he who cleaves in silver, is one of their favorite archfey because he's noble and valorous and he likes a, a good scrap every now and again. And he gives them cool powers that let them go get in fights more precipitously. Um, and very, very unwisely. He he loves a very unwise uh, but noble fight. Um, and so having him sort of lead the charge against Howell seems very, very likely. Um, but we'll see how that all shakes out. Anyway... That is a great set of suggestions. Mm-hmm. I look forward to messing around with them. And uh, I think I'm probably out of time. Jeff, how am I doing? Oh, uh, yeah, no. Between the two of us, we've got a, an hour and seven minutes here. So, uh, Wait. Right. I, I, I heard the Darth Vader breathing. Uh, it, oh, yeah. Sam, you've got a solid 2.3 minutes. How you doing? <laughs> no. Um, you said you wanted anyway, to that, your time to me. So now, is... you, now you've ceded it to both of us. So. Yeah, that's right. Sorry, mate. Okay. Uh, that that will pretty much do it for me. Thank you very much. All right. 
So uh, just a reminder, if you want to talk to us on the Tome Show stuff some more, we are on the various socials. Um, the best place to talk to us is probably the Discord channel. Uh, it's a great little community there, and there's a lot of, you know, not so big that, that you get lost in all the noise, but but big enough that there's a variety of, of discussion topics and, and perspectives being brought to it. Um, but we're on the Twitters. Uh, I, I am also on Twitter and Mastodon and Blue Sky and Threads and whatever. Uh, I'm generally either Jeff Greiner or Squatch, usually Squatch, S-Q-U-A-C-H. Uh, and I can point you to the, the Discord as necessary. Sam, you have 15 seconds. Go. Okay. Uh, so I had the first part of my uh, the first. So uh, talking about my traveler game, you know, the party was going to go uh, be bodyguards to this this, you know, really immature, noble guy who is going to become space pope. Basically, uh, they had they had a session last Friday uh, where uh, they are are on route they're in route to go uh meet meet up with him they get the transmission of information from his security forces telling him telling them everything that they need to know telling them who the who all the people that he's up against like what who the leaders of the families that are also trying to win the support of everyone uh as well as uh some information about what those particular individuals might want to do and meanwhile while they're in route i have them uh, get secure communication from two of the of the different clans that are vying for power, uh, asking them questions and trying to trade information. One of them is trying to buy them off. Uh, the Imperium tries to get them to uh, give up the job and and go to a different sector or, or different subsector because, or even just a different system because the Imperium doesn't want any kind of uh, uh, imperial. Uh, presence at this particular event, even though they've they've been asked to become neutral arbiters, they declined. And the thing is that the the party's ship, uh, because of one of the tasks that they agreed to do, they have a consular imperial consular designation on their ship right now. So if they go do this job, it's going to look like the Imperium is involved in some way, or that the Imperium supports this particular person who is up for uh, for the election. Um, and uh, the the party did really well. It was mostly a a planning and a role playing. Uh, session and we did not have any of the events they just got all of the security data and they could plan out everything and they got a couple of different offers to to back down they declined the offer from uh the imperium the imperium said okay well if you're not doing that then i'm going to actually uh trigger your consular status you are now working for us and you need to do these two things while you're down there so along with doing the job that you have uh contracted with this your patron for you now have to do these two things for us uh and we are going to install a spy amongst your ranks and then you have to make sure that person gets in and out and does not get caught um and then they also did well to um decline the offer from uh, a noble from one of the lesser clans who is in support of a different person to try to get them to buy them off to get them to not be the security the the sort of um 
very impressive and uh you know really the this this patron who hired them really only wants them to make the other people look bad right it's really for intimidation and so these other groups are trying to say hey if you don't do this it'll be a more fair thing and this person is trying to do things that is going to basically destroy my my entire generation's rulership of this planet and it's going to destroy the planet and so uh so yeah so they offered them basically uh, a couple million uh credits and the party was like no no thanks and then um the they spoke to this person a little bit more and they told them a little bit of information and then um basically the person said so you don't have these reasons to do this you don't have this other reason to do this you don't have this other reason really you're only doing it for the money and the equipment so what if I offer you, you know, I, I've been authorized to offer you 10 million credits to just turn around and leave, to just leave the system. And they're like, hmm. And they thought about it for a minute. And then, and then they said no. So now, because they're like, well, we're not really just in it for the money. We don't want to seem like we're, you know, like we're, we're people of our word. We gave our word that we were going to do this job. And now... You know, now this now they want to buy us off, but like, it, you know, is ten million dollars into ten million dollars, ten million credits? Is that really that much? And is that worth our reputation? So this whole sort of conversation like that ensued, and that's basically where we left it because, um, yeah, there was a lot of role playing and a lot of trying to figure out what they they were doing some soul searching about. Well, what are we really about? Are we really about the money, or are we about our word, or do we really even support this guy that we decided to work for? And how is this working? Oh, but by the way, we're taking a spy onto the planet. Like this is a really they're they're going to get so screwed. <laughs> they're going to get so screwed. No matter what they do, they're they're going to screw up because now they have they've got two masters. They're serving two masters now because of of what deal they had to make and and they have declined a third who offered them a, a good faith deal and so yeah they're it's 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 pretty bad they're gonna get totally screwed but we'll find out next week i i do love it when uh you know uh 10 million credits turns out to be more than your uh your scruples are worth <laughs> i mean or, or not yeah. right well, so the reason that they took this job in the first place is the their, the patron who off was basically like, I'll give you anything you want because I'm going to have unlimited resources once I'm elected and I'll give you anything. And they were like, oh, uh, you know, two million dollars or whatever. They threw out some number that they thought this guy would never say yes to. And he immediately agreed and was like, yes, OK, I'll send over the papers. You sign them and I, I will put that money in your account like right now. And he did. And they're like, "Oh, I guess we got to do this thing now." <laughs> and then, and then you up the ante. Yep. They that they thought two million was an unreasonable request, and then you went yeah. down to ten. Yep. Yeah, yep. but that's yeah, and for a different group. And so now they're like, "Hmm, well, all these other people now suddenly have all this resources. Like, what's going on here?" So yeah, yeah, it's pretty funny actually because <laughs> they have no idea what they're gonna do. Sounds fun. But I, I, I'll stop there because you know. That no, that, that's exciting. I'm looking forward to yeah. uh, hearing more about their uh, their decisions, wise and otherwise. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> None of the decisions they make, they're wise in the moment, but they're short-sighted wise, not not right. far-sighted sure. wise. <laughs> well, they're, they're, typical, they're good, right? at good at getting through what's in front of them, and not necessarily thinking that's right. about where they go from there. That's right. Yep. Well, I mean, that's that's PCs for you. Yeah. I, oh, yeah. Totally. It's very difficult to. 
even present enough of the world and enough context of their decisions so that they could be long term wise. Although although yeah. in fairness, turning down the ten million is is more long term. because uh, in the short term it would have been easier for them to say yes, you know. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, but the funny thing is it did it did make them have this realization that, you know, the a couple million dollars, a few million credits doesn't actually change their lives that much because they owe like 80 million bucks, 80 million credits on their ship. And if they get a bad reputation, they'll quit getting jobs and that'll screw them over. So like really a million million dollars isn't actually all that much. Now, 10 million, maybe, but that's still not going to really change their lives. Right. right? Like, yeah, you know, it's like, it's like, it'd be like, you know, if I won 10,000 bucks, that's a big chunk of money, like in real life. Right. Like that's a huge chunk of money. I could use it for sure. And it would help me pay off some debts and do whatever. But it's not going to change my life. I'm right. still going to have to get up and go to work every day. I'm still going to have, you know, whatever other issues. You know what I mean? So it's not life-changing money. And I think they realized, oh, that really um, huge amount of money that sounded like a lot isn't actually even life-changing money for us. Especially so, for $80 million in debt. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you're $80 million in debt, anything less than $80 million is not life-changing. Well. They wanted a new ship. I don't know what to yeah. tell you, man. Yeah. <laughs> they could have they could have so done it differently, but you know, it's but all right. They, but they didn't. <laughs> all right. I think we're gonna wrap things up. Uh not to shortchange Sam, but we are are now we're good. Well over we're good. and and he's only he and he's telling us to move on. So yeah. Uh, uh this has been behind the new screen. I always forget how I end the show because I don't write a script. I have bullet points yeah. that say that say Jeff Brandis Sam on them. And that's it. Yeah. That's you, my entire script. You just, you just say, like, have good games, and we will see you yep. next time. All right. So, Sam, where can our listeners find you? Oh, that is a thing that I say. We don't. We don't actually do that. What? Here, we don't. We don't do it on this podcast. So I think sometimes podcast. we do. We I don't. don't know. We only do. We did it last week with Robert Aducci because he's never here. Brandis, where can people find right. you? Cool. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> you can find me on uh, Blue Sky. Uh, at brendastoddard.bsky.social. Uh, you can find my writing on tribality.com, where I've been covering a lot of UA releases recently, and I'm so far behind. It's terrible, folks. I'm so far behind. Uh, and then also, um, my personal blog, which is uh, brendastoddard.com, and I have a Patreon that is brendastoddard. Excellent. Thanks. Yeah, and thank you for joining us. I hope you had a good time. I did. That was great. Good. All right, we're going to call this the end of the episode. Thanks for joining us, uh, both listeners and and, and my co-hosts. Uh, and that's it. Say goodbye, guys. Bye, guys. Bye, y'all.